Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Airway First, the podcast from the Children's Airway First Foundation. I'm your host, Rebecca Downing. My guest today is Dr. Shireen Lim, a Perth-based dentist with a postgraduate diploma in dental sleep medicine from the University of Western Australia. As one of Australia's first handful of dentists to obtain a qualification in dental sleep medicine, she has spent more than a decade working with patients with snoring and obstructive sleep apnea. Rather than managing dysfunctional breathing and its consequences, Dr. Lim is focused on promoting airway health. This means reinforcing nasal breathing and promoting good airway development from infancy as keys to sleeping well, thriving, and a greater future health. Dr. Lim regularly sees infants to adults and has been able to pinpoint the issues in infancy that lead to bigger problems down the track. She's passionate about educating child health professionals from a variety of fields to recognize the earliest warning signs of poor airway health, including poor oral facial and poor jaw development, and promoting collaborative care to address these as early as possible. Her vision is to help more children receive timely care to breathe, sleep, and thrive to their full potential and avoid growing into more serious problems later in life. Dr. Lim is also a renowned speaker and the author of Breathe, Sleep, Thrive, which is available on Amazon. You can find out more about Dr. Lim at drsherilynlim.com.au. And now, here's my interview with Dr. Sharon Lim. Okay, thank you, Dr. Lim, for being on our show today. I really appreciate it. No, thanks, Rebecca, for having me. I have followed um, Children's Airway Health Foundation, the website and the blogs and, and all the resources that you guys have created. So I'm really excited to be involved with this um, to support what you guys are doing. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And just so everybody knows at the end of the show, in our show notes, I'll make sure to put links about everything we talk about. Mm-hmm. And when I reference your book, just so people can see it, this is the book I will be referencing um, throughout our conversation. And if, especially parents, if you haven't read it, I cannot recommend it enough. Please read it. It's, it's amazing. You'll get your footing. There's, there's so much information in there. It's just, it's a great book. So that being said, thought we could start off a little bit talking about on your website, you've got your vision and mission statement. And I want to talk about that because to me, that sets the groundwork for everything we're going to talk about throughout the course of this podcast. And on there, you say your vision is to grow a global community of airway and sleep health advocates to help more people breathe, sleep, and thrive to their full potential. How do we do this? And and why why now? Why is suddenly this you know bubbled up to be such a big conversation topic? Yeah, I mean, in the past, traditional healthcare has been really focused on treating symptoms uh, such as depression, ADHD, heart problems, uh, and without really looking at the root causes of those issues. And many times when we have poor breathing and poor sleep, um, that will actually play out with these symptoms and increased risk of these problems. So rather than medicating people uh, and and people um, surgeries and all the research focusing on these medications, I want people to go back and look at how are people breathing and sleeping. This is where we spend a lot of our time during the day. Uh, and mm-hmm. if we don't breathe well, we're not going to live well. So I think it's really important uh, to get this word out. We can most affect people when we treat people in the earliest years of life. So we can't really afford to wait longer and longer. There's a lot of new research that suggests that we need to work collaboratively to ensure people breathe well and grow healthy airways and it's time to get this information out so that we don't miss that boat for many of these children. Right, right. And I actually have 
two different questions kind of to follow up with this, because one thing uh, you just touched on it and and I've heard you speak about this before and and other podcasts and other presentations where you talk about the stage of breathing dysfunctions and that the earliest origins are gestational and infancy. So how is it possible for these dysfunctions to appear, you know, during pregnancy? And then, you know, if we identify them, how early can we treat them? Yeah, sure. So I think it's really important for people to recognize when we have problems like breathing, uh, like snoring and sleep apnea, uh, they do have developmental origins. They're not something that suddenly occurs when you put on weight or when you grow older. They have their uh, roots in how well is the jaw growing, the jaw structures. The jaw structures being the floor of the nose, the house for the tongue, the support for our upper airway or throat. And so these jaws, they grow the most in the first six years of life. Uh, Even the first year is the most rapid period of development. And what stimulates those jaws to develop is how well we use our muscles during sucking, swallowing and breathing. Now, sucking and swallowing begins in utero from uh, there's been like fetal echography studies that show that from 18 weeks there's that constant sucking and swallowing pattern going and so there has been some work presented by Dr Christian Gimeno which found um, that these high palates and retrognathic or receded jaws can be uh, found uh, very early even before birth Um, and they're a reflection of dysfunctional sucking and swallowing in utero yeah and so because the sucking and swallowing peaks around the third trimester as well. Uh, We also have to be aware of um, high risk groups like premature births, because when when babies are born premature, they miss a significant chunk of their sucking and swallowing training, and they don't build good muscle tone. And so these children as well, they're going to be at risk of uh, high arch palate and, and problems with their jaw development and their muscle tone as well. So if we see it in in utero, Mm-hmm. At this point, just you know, so mm-hmm. I understand, there's really nothing we can do about it at that point. Um, but if we see it, then we can be prepared to do something. How quickly once the baby is born? Well, I think the first first function, the most important modifiable uh, influence on jaw development, is going to be breastfeeding uh, in that first year of life. So we want to promote uh, the mechanical benefits of breastfeeding to allow parents to make that fully informed decision. Uh, Because when we have breastfeeding, it does uh, require for optimal transfer of milk, good tongue function and good suction. So it's really actually the the tongue suctioning to the roof of the mouth. uh, And Mm -hmm. as it drops, it creates a vacuum. And that's how milk is effectively transferred. And that promotes good swallowing. Uh, So even in utero, it's that action that actually stimulates proper palate development. So I'm involved with a lot of of tongue tightening from infancy and we can really see these high arch palates and the correlation with the degree that that tongue can suction uh, and yes we can identify these issues we can't really change the palate in a big big way when it's already very high but what we can do is we can promote breastfeeding and proper suction of that tongue uh, and and that can sometimes mean tongue tie release uh, or working with a good lactation support consultant who can really optimize the latch and and help ensure that we're getting the deepest possible latch and allowing that tongue to function as best as possible and And we also and that stretches that will help stretch and and move the mouth expand it naturally the more and more toes that tongue is and working well 
Uh, the more our muscles are working, that will actually provide the proper stimulus for the jaws to grow well. However, sometimes that palate is so high that no matter what we do, it's really hard for that tongue to reach uh, the, the roof of the palate and to stimulate more normal development. So we can identify that these are the children that are going to have more problems and we want to minimize dummy use or pacifier use, which actually promotes low tongue posture and incorrect swallowing, which sort of distorts the palate further. Uh, and we, you know, we I, I'm a big advocate for things like osteopathic treatment to kind of help to release any cranial strains or just allow the bones to move more freely and develop more normally. Um, and and the age of six years to be able to then introduce good chewing, uh, you know, harder diets rather than overdoing the purees, uh, baby led weaning. Right. I, I think that's a really good approach to look into. Just everything that we can do to get the muscles working well, because we can't really do palate expansion until children have developed their uh, set of 20 baby teeth that we require to support the expander. Well, that and that kind of answers one of my questions. You know, when when can we start it? So, mm -hmm. you, you obviously we're we're much later than infancy at that point. Yes, yeah. So for palate expansion, I have I have um, colleagues that are doing it from the age of two years. Uh, <laughs> my my comfort zone is age three. Um, so if a child is pretty easy to engage with, or um, they can sit in the chair for a full set of photos. Uh, then often they could be a very good candidate, particularly if they're not breathing well, sleeping well, uh, behavioural concerns, uh, difficult to manage, uh, emotional regulation. They're the children that I might want to look at intervening sooner. There really is no need to wait until their permanent teeth come through because the brain development, you know, 90% is done by the first three years of life. Child's brain is 90% of the adult size by age three or something like that. I may not be quite accurate there, but uh, you know, a lot of development goes on in those early years of life. So we want to make sure that they are sleeping and breathing well and palate expansion being a very good intervention to, to address that risk factor. And then with palate expansion, that device is put in and it's relatively permanent, right? It's not something that the child pops out in or out daily, correct? There's actually quite a few different uh, appliances and different ways that you can expand the palate. Okay. Uh, and the way that palate expansion works uh, to get true bony expansion, it, it works because in the middle of the palate, there's a midline suture and it's not completely fused. It starts fusing around the age of nine. And so if we gently separate the two halves of the palate, we can actually stimulate bone. Um, it's also called distraction osteogenesis. Uh, so there are multiple types of appliances and anything that has the key that you turn can actually open up that suture and stimulate the bone. So there are fixed appliances and there are removable appliances. And so any of those appliances can, can work in a very young child just because their suture is so open um, to, to movement. And so I tend to use removable appliances. I'm really comfortable with the use of the BioBlock appliance, but there are multiple ways to do it. So obviously with a removable, it does require compliance. Uh, children, I get them to wear it full time, to eat, to sleep, to, to go to kindy or school. Um, and you do require a compliant uh, child, but more importantly, compliant, uh, like a parent that's really on board to can help supervise. So it may not be for everybody. There are multiple ways of doing it, but um, it is really the ones with the screw that we're looking for because there are things like ALF appliances and Invisalign that don't really produce that true skeletal 
uh, bone expansion right at the midline, which is the floor of the nose. Um, still can be good for making more tongue space, but not as proven or well studied to improve sleep and breathing quickly. Gotcha. And what's the difference between a mandibular advancement device and palate expansion or a palate expander? Yeah, so mandibular advancement devices are typically used for non-growing people like adults who with snoring and obstructive sleep apnea. And what they do, they're worn during sleep um, to actually advance the lower jaw forward. And the aim of those appliances is to help improve breathing or open up the airway. But by advancing the lower jaw forward, we're bringing the tongue forward because the tongue is uh, often uh, a risk factor for collapsed um, breathing during sleep. Um, And when we bring our lower jaw forward and our tongue comes forward, it stretches open the, the muscles of the throat. So it helps to keep the airway more open during sleep. And so they're quite effective uh, for certain individuals that have receded jaws and um, they do help people with their sleep quality, but it really is a Band-Aid solution um, for Mm. for a problem with jaw development. And so I do think that we can do better for our patients if we actually get in early and help their jaws grow better and address those oral dysfunctions that lead to poor jaw development. Right, because if we can do this early or early, yes. or, right, yeah. then we're preventing these adults that are having problems, a plethora, a plethora of issues. It's amazing how much is related. Yeah, I, I, I think I first got into snoring and sleep apnea because of my husband's snoring and and really looking into these dental sleep appliances. And as as much as, as they can help people's quality of life, it's it really is a band aid solution. And often uh, people. Ultimately, after a long period of time, they may have different problems with it, like um, their jaw problems or they break and lose it and then um, they, they can't really live without it. It's kind of like a crutch. So right. you know, I also think that for adults with snoring and sleep apnea, yes, it can be very despairing. It can really affect their quality of life. And, and that's one of the reasons why I think we need early intervention. But for adults, I think beyond those type of Band-Aid solutions as well, uh, we really need to look at how can we help their improve their breathing daytime and nighttime as well so that they can actually get better and they don't have to rely on these nighttime crutches. And when we're looking at what are the best solutions for adults or what's really going to help improve their quality of life without them having to rely on things, we're really looking at advanced jaw surgeries like palate expansion for adults, which is a mm-hmm. lot more difficult than doing it in children, or double jaw advancement surgeries. Yeah. And that sort of thing as well. So, you know, it's really complex. And sometimes it's really hard to find providers that really can understand and integrate these treatments. When do we do palate expansion? When do we do double jaw advancement surgery? And so I I really do think at the end of the day, we need to intervene early. Earlier is definitely the way. When you mentioned that it is kind of a Band-Aid, CPAP is something that we hear a lot about, you Mm -hmm. know, especially on our program, people talk talk about that. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because you mentioned a Band-Aid and I've always wondered if the point at night is for it to push all this extra air in, you know, what happens to these people during the day? So in in theory, if that's helping you at night, you're still walking around during the day without any help or support. You just, you're not snoring, but that issue does still exist, correct? It, it is because the snoring is really 
a symptom of poor airway development. Uh, and it's a the, the problem really is a constricted airway, uh, but it plays out during sleep because during time we can keep our mouth open, uh, we all our reflexes are intact, but during sleep, when we're lying on our backs, um, you know, the tongue is more likely to flop, when mm-hmm. we're, all our muscles are more relaxed, our reflexes that keep our upper airway open, they're not as intact, um, this is when it plays out. So it is actually more of a day problem an airway problem that plays out during sleep. Um, So, yeah, CPAP, you know, again, really it's a Band-Aid solution. Uh, There are so many people that can't tolerate it. Uh, And even when they do, the long-term compliance is not really that great. And so, again, nowadays people want to be healthier. They want to actually work out what is a solution. How can I actually get healthier rather than rely on these problems? And it really does come down to jaw surgery. So a lot more adults are becoming interested in how can we do these double jaw surgeries or this palate expansion. Um, right, to get to the root and fix it so that they've got this long-term solution. That's right. Yeah, but but along the way, we've missed all those uh, warning signs and people have suffered for decades without having you know a clear mind or good attention, concentration and all the other symptoms that go with it. You're listening to Airway First with today's guest, Dr. Sharon Lim. You can find out more about the Children's Airway First Foundation and our mission to fix before six on our website at childrensairwayfirst.org. The CAF website offers tons of great resources for parents and medical professionals, including videos, blogs, recommended reading lists, comprehensive medical research, podcasts, and so much more. We encourage parents to join the Airway Huddle our Facebook support group, which was created for parents of children with airway and sleep-related issues. You can access the Airway Huddle support group at facebook.com backslash groups backslash Airway Huddle. Are you a medical professional or parent that is interested in being a guest on the show, or do you have an idea for an upcoming episode? If so, shoot us a note via the contacts page on our website, or send us an email directly at info at childrensairwayfirst.org. As a reminder, this podcast and the opinions expressed here are not a medical diagnosis. If you suspect your child might have an airway issue, contact your pediatric airway dentist or pediatrician. And now, let's jump back into my interview with today's guest, Dr. Sharon Lim. You talk, and we've talked about this on our on our programs before, but in your book, you you talk a great deal about tongue ties in children, and um, I actually I found that quite quite interesting because even as much as we've talked about it, the way you explain it and the visuals that go along with it, it really helps to clarify things. But just for some of our parents who maybe haven't read this yet, so how can we accurately identify a tongue tie? Uh, because I think we've all done this. You go on the mirror and you lift up your tongue and you see that little thing hanging down and you think, oh, I have a tongue tie. So how do you actually identify a tongue tie? And as parents, what are we looking for specifically? Yeah, it it, it, it is quite a um, <laughs> complicated question to answer, uh, to, you know, because a lot of us as health professionals, even 
even dentists, we consider oral physicians or physicians of the mouth. We are not taught anything about tongue tie in dental oh. school. So it's really hard for us to be able to identify anything uh, beyond the very obvious tongue tie that goes all the way to the tip of mm-hmm. the tongue. Uh, so they're pretty readily identifiable, often can be picked up by pediatricians in hospital. Um, but the ones that are more tricky and more gray uh, and less easy to diagnose are called posterior tongue ties. And these mm-hmm. ones are more hidden, as in they don't extend necessarily all the way to the tip of the, the tongue. Um, they may be a little bit further back, but what they can do is they can prevent that normal suck that for efficient transfer of milk uh, and that normal suction for good tongue posture to actually develop the palate properly and for that tongue to be well toned uh, to help keep our airway open during sleep. So how do we identify them? Well, we really do need to work with people that are really well trained. uh, And usually these are people that have actually gone and done further study beyond uh, traditional medical and dental training. Um, So working with people that are really involved with tongue tie management on a daily basis And really, we do need to lie babies down and manually lift up the tongue to actually have a look and to to really feel the degree of restriction. And we need to be able to take into account uh, what is the feeding like and what are the symptoms experienced by parents. Uh, Sometimes, um, you know, if there is pain or there's problems with weight gain or fussy feeding, we really need to not rule out posterior tongue tie and have that properly investigated. Uh, because there, there's now a lot of research to support that posterior tongue tie or that those more hidden tongue ties are implicated in reflux-like symptoms or aerophasia. Um, and p- babies are getting put on medications and, and all sorts of things like thickeners and, and different things, but really we're not addressing the root issue, which is poor swallowing and sucking and the excessive intake of air, which leads to all those issues and sometimes oh, tongue tie release can be a helpful intervention to manage that. So I think the most important thing for parents is to recognize that it's not always a straightforward, easy diagnosis that we are trained as professionals to look for. If there are problems you want to work with really well-trained international board certified lactation consultants and 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 your other professionals that really have a special interest in this area. That will take into account your symptoms and issues as well. So you're talking myofunctional therapists? Yeah, I think people that deal with infants on a on a regular basis. Okay. They're gonna be the ones that can spot it a little easier. Or or yeah, have a bigger picture regarding it as well. Because a lot of the time people go, Oh, your your baby is sticking their tongue out. Uh and it's really not protrusion or the how far they can stick out the tongue. It's really the, when it comes to breathing and sleep and development of the jaws, we need proper elevation. And even sometimes babies can compensate and they end up cheeks to create mm-hmm. the suction. Um, and that's really not allowing the tongue to work either. And it just leads to a snowball of dysfunctional swallowing and orthodontic problems and all that sort of thing as well. Yeah. So working with a lactation consultant that is trained to look at the actual function uh, and the mechanics of the mouth is going to be a really good option. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. And in your book you talk about, and, and this kind of ties into this, um, that we have to focus more on good breathing and sleep as pillars mm-hmm. instead of just continuing to treat you know, and manage symptoms with medication and surgery. So 
in your opinion, you know, if, if what does this look like to you? You know, how do we, first of all, what does that look like? But then how do we turn the ship? Because I've heard from several guests, mm-hmm. they're just not taught this in medical school or we're not mm-hmm. taught this in dental school. How do we, how do we fix this? Yeah, well, I think everybody recognizes that good diet uh, and exercise is really important for good health and health span. Uh, but we need to pay attention to healthy breathing. Uh, you know, it's the breathing that is the most number one critical function that we need to sustain us. And we need to pay more attention to how does that breathing look like? Is it through the nose? Is it correct, healthy breathing? And how do we get this out? Well, that's why I try to share as much information as I can. And that's why I've written the book. Um, and James Nestor, uh, Breathe, his book, Breath, mm-hmm. uh, he, yep. it, that was a very, very good book as well to really yep. help people appreciate the importance of healthy breathing. So it's really getting that information out there. And I don't know exactly how to get the information out further, Um But I do think, you know, things like this book, uh, every day I'm getting emails or messages from different people wishing that they knew this information earlier. And Mm -hmm. so I think we're only just at the cusp of like, um, it's really gathering a lot of momentum that people demanding uh, more knowledge be shared. And I hope that eventuates into something uh, in the future. Yeah. And and can you see, or does it make sense to have these more, instead of separate standing offices or facilities, the, these things that are a lot more collaborative where, you know, dentists and pediatricians and osteopaths and, and myofunctional therapists start to work more holistically on patients instead of in their separate little siloed areas. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think when it comes to mouth breathing, a lot of people think, oh, there must be an obstruction. Uh, uh, and right. the person that comes to mind is an ENT specialist or surgeon uh, yeah. who will typically take things out of the nose and the throat to improve breathing. Um, but just as important is looking at the outside framework of the airway, which really comes down to the jaws, because when we don't have good jaw development or we have a narrow palate, we're going to have a limitation of airflow. And this is when it becomes easier to breathe with your mouth open. And then we need to look at the muscle patterns as well, because uh, sometimes when you've breathed through your mouth for a long time, it becomes a muscle deficit where your tongue is sitting low and your lips become flaccid uh, and you're just not used to using your uh, nose. And so we need to look at the a possibility of speech therapists and myofunctional therapists to help restore those types of deficits as well. Uh, and there, there are all sorts of implications with body posture and, and there's a role for many different professionals to get the muscles working well, to help restore nasal breathing and those jaw structures that are the framework, the good airway. Um, so yes, it is important that we all recognize these problems, you know, with a lactation consultant, we don't want them to just make sure that babies are feeding without pain or putting on weight gain. They have a really good role in optimizing the muscles uh, because that is the foundation for the way in which we're going to chew and swallow and, and grow our jaws. So really helping people understand what is their role. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot more multidisciplinary courses and conferences now. So I think that is really helpful to have more and more people on the same page 
uh, really understanding that we need to work together to promote this integrative approach. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. So one part of your focus is also on sleep. Mm-hmm. And so you talk about sleep studies and, and, and how they can help as far as evaluating and coming up with a, a course of treatment for adults. But when it comes to children, uh, my understanding is there, there are some limitations that and expectations that maybe we could set for parents because it's very different with children. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think, well, there's quite a few uh, limitations with sleep studies in general. Um, okay. And so the probably the main things that I'd want parents to recognize, or even adults, when we get a sleep study, uh, it, it offers a lot of information regarding sleep um, times, durations, how many pauses in breathing, how, what are the durations, how much mouth breathing. But typically all that information gets summarized in a report and it comes down to AHI, apnea hypopnea index, which is then, which is really a measure of obstructive sleep apnea. Uh, that, so that happens a lot with the reports. Uh, but really to get counted as having obstructive sleep apnea, mm-hmm. you have to have a minimum of five 10 second pauses in breathing as an adult per hour of sleep. Per hour, so, okay. Yes. Five per hour. And they have to be 10 seconds. They can't be nine. They can't be eight. Uh, so it's a bit pretty severe. Wow. Like even if you have mild sleep, yeah. apnea, it's a severe breathing disturbance. And when it comes to children, because of the recognition that children are very vulnerable to, to oxygen deprivation, they just need to have one per hour to get a diagnosis of obstructive sleep apnea. But the problem is that Obstructive sleep apnea really is a severe breathing dysfunction. And if we turn around and tell people that this report says you have no obstructive sleep apnea, therefore we cannot uh, really propose any treatment, um, we're actually missing those really precursor forms or the more subtle breathing disturbances, which also lead to symptoms like snoring and unrefreshed sleep and and all the other symptoms with learning concerns, memory fog, uh, because it's, it's very arbitrary cutoff. Um, and so with children, children do not tend to get obstructive sleep apnea. They tend to have more upper airway respiratory um, re- resistance syndrome, sorry, upper airway resistance syndrome, which mm-hmm. is their sympathetic nervous systems are very intact uh, and they're more likely to respond. As soon as there's a threat to oxygen supply or a closure, increased resistance to breathing, um, they're aroused from sleep. And so they do not get those 10 second obstructions. But what that means is their sleep is very, very disturbed. Even mm-hmm. if they snore, we know that that is linked to increased risk of inattention uh, because it is actually really disruptive for their sleep. And so it may be linked to signs like uh, teeth grinding. Um, they're all protective mechanisms to protect against sleep apnea, but really they're linked to unrefreshing sleep. And, and if we miss that, um, we are not going to be able to treat well those children that are suffering with those symptoms. So generally speaking, if I have a child that comes in with snoring and they're having daytime issues, I am not really going to refer them for a sleep study because in my area, it will come down to the AHI. Um, I will address anything. If I think they've got obstructive 
tonsils or they, they've got obstruction of their nose, I, I will send them to an ENT. If they've got a constricted palate, I'll deal with that. If their muscles aren't working, their tongue is tired and not functioning well, I'll, I'll, I'll look at doing that. So I'll try and address all of those risk factors because I think what's really important is that we are not just treating obstructive, making sure that children can breathe well through their nose 24-7. Got it. All right. So in your book, um, you give quite a bit of guidance about um, airway-centric dentistry or airway-aware dentistry. Uh, there are two phrases that, that we hear a lot of. How do parents identify that they have an airway-focused or an airway-centric dentist? And then, you know, how do these exams look different than just a regular dental exam? Yeah, sure. Okay, so... How do we identify it? Well, if you're coming in with a child, uh, you want to know if that dentist has any knowledge of snoring or sleep breathing disturbances. Do they refer to an ENT specialist? Do they look at tongue ties? Do they understand that, um, you know, do they, when do they refer for early interceptive orthodontics? Um, Generally speaking, if you are more airway aware, you'll be more prone to incline, uh, prone to offer that as an option uh, okay. younger. You don't necessarily need to wait till seven to eight. Uh, but then uh, again, a lot of people have a problem finding someone that will do the interceptive treatment before that age as oh. well. I, I think one of the really uh, good questions to like teeth grinding, teeth grinding is a key red flag, one of the strongest red flags in the mouth that a child is not breathing or sleeping well. So even okay. trying to see what do they think about that? If it's something that they say is quite normal, children will grow out of, that is probably not an airway uh, aware dentist because that is Got actually it. what we're taught in dental school. Um, but if they understand that it could be linked to disturbed breathing, that that is probably one dentist that will understand it. In terms of what is different, well, my practice is really focused on this type of thing. So I do spend like a full hour for a new patient consult and we'll go through the full entire history of their sleep, really clicking down into a lot of those type of questions. But uh, for a general dentist, I think you want to hear questions like, does your child snore? Uh, you know, what is their behavior like? Maybe some of those questions might mean that that dentist is actually interested. Yeah, they're aware, aware. Yes. Okay, excellent. Yeah. So typically at the end of every episode, I like to turn the floor back over mm -hmm. to our guests sure. and let you have the final word. And it can be anything. You can talk to parents, you can talk to medical professionals, you could talk to both. If there's anything you want to reiterate, it's completely up to you. Yeah, that, that is great. So uh, I think, well, I think for parents to recognize, a lot of pe people don't realize that mouth breathing is a, a problem. Um, you know, people look at their child with their mouth open and think it's cute uh, and, and full of yeah. character. But just to recognize that, yes, it is not, it means that your child is not able to sleep to the best that they can. And it can play out with many different issues. And when children have issues like ear infections or bedwetting or speech concerns and, and all these other things that can be a, a symptom of poor breathing, we really need to address that poor breathing. And it's not just an ENT surgeon. Sometimes you can get your child's adenoids and tonsils or 
removed and have grommets placed, but we really need to recognise that those issues may itself be a symptom and we've still got to, to manage deeper if we want to address this problem clearly. And so really looking at all the different aspects, whether it be their jaw or their mouth function, to try to optimise those things. And, and really the book is to help parents recognise those red flags and give them mm-hmm. some direction of what are the different paths that they need to look at to ensure that their child develops their airway well. And the best time to find out more about it is uh, even when you're pregnant or during infancy. We may not be able to do everything straight away, but to have that idea, uh, I think, will really empower parents to be able to ensure that they're making the best choices for their children's uh, future. I love it. And again, thank you so much for being on the show and for sharing all of your knowledge. I will put links to everything in our show notes and um, just thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks very much, Rebecca, for having me. I really want my network to be able to follow what you guys are doing as well. We do not need to recreate the wheel in terms of developing resources. Uh, You guys have put out a lot of great um, stuff that we can help share with parents as well. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks to today's guest, Dr. Sharon Lim, for sharing her medical insight, and to each of you for listening to today's episode. If you're new to our podcast, please don't forget to subscribe. And if you enjoyed today's episode, leave us a review or a comment telling us about what you enjoyed most. You can stay connected with the Children's Airway First Foundation by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Parents can also join us via our Facebook parent support group, The Airway Huddle, at facebook.com backslash groups backslash Airway Huddle. Are you looking for more from CAF? Then check out our new YouTube channel. You can find a variety of informative original video content, as well as the video recordings and excerpts from selected Airway First podcast episodes. If you'd like to be a guest or have an idea for an upcoming episode, shoot us a note via the contacts page on our website or send us an email directly at info at childrensairwayfirst.org. And finally, thanks to all the parents and medical professionals out there that are working to help make the lives of kids around the globe just a little bit better. Take care, stay safe, and happy breathing, everyone.